Oh, hey, Lighthouse friends. Welcome back to another season of the Lighthouse Family Retreat podcast. This would be season eight, Chris, season in case anyone's counting. Eight. That's eight. a snowman right there. That's my lucky number, eight. That's fan Is it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. What makes it your lucky number? I just have always liked the number eight. There's no specific reason. Just like eight. always since when? Always. Since I was a kid, I just love the number eight. No kidding. Yeah. Um, is it the infinite of it? If you just keep going around and around? I don't think it's that deep. I don't think it really. I've just always been like, oh, eight. Eight's a perfect eight's number. Eight's a great number. And yeah. this is season eight. It is season eight. That's pretty incredible. Hey, so we've got some changes coming to season eight. We do. Yeah, we're going to shake it up a little bit. We are. For all you listeners out there, we're shaking it up. So listen, if you're a first-time listener uh, and you guys are just jumping in on this, or maybe not even a first time, but a third time or fourth mm -hmm. time, you're starting in the wrong spot, right? There are seven seasons. Yep. So you need to take it all the way back. Way back. All the way back to season one and episode one and run through and binge from the beginning because there are so many great episodes of different families, stories, oncologists, nurses, social workers, you name it. That's where you want to start to catch up to this point. And then right. going forward from this point, for season eight, we're going to release a new episode the first Tuesday of every month. That's right. So if you've been around a while, we're still going to give you new stuff, but we'd love for you to go way back um, and listen to how new at podcasting we were, because I'm sure if we That's went right. back to listen, it we, might sound a little different. It'll sound like we're all new together. Right. We're all new together. That's right. But go back and listen and, and start at the beginning. Uh, but yeah, Christy, we're going to be starting first Tuesday every month, dropping a new one, at least for season eight. Yes. That's um, that's just to get us through um, through May, and we may switch it up and do some stuff different on the back half of yeah. the year. But for now, shaking it up a little bit. Shaking it up. We've got some other new stuff in store for Lighthouse people just for retreats this yes. year. So we, I'm very excited about this. First weekend in April, we are doing a weekend retreat up in Jasper, Georgia at Sharp Top Cove. That's exciting. Um, we, if you have never done a weekend retreat with us, we need volunteers and we have spots open for families going through childhood cancer. That's right. So if you're in the area and you've always wanted to try Lighthouse, um, it's a beautiful location. It's going to be so much fun. It's a weekend. So yeah. it's an easy, That's right. you know. Maybe a week hasn't been able to work for you in the exactly. past. A weekend does. This is a great time to jump in. Also, we do have space on week-long retreats for our first-time families. So if you've never been on a Lighthouse retreat, this is perfect for you. Go to our website and you can find some spots to apply for week-long beach retreats with mm -hmm. us as well. That's, yeah. again, first-time families. Cannot believe we're already talking about 2024 retreats. It's I know. pretty exciting. It's coming. It's pretty yeah. exciting. Yeah. Right? It's coming fast. <laughs> I know. It's coming very fast. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So, um, Christy, we're in February. Yes. And you, maybe you and I are different because we are a little bit different on some of the other months that, that we like and love. Um, I'm not a huge fan I know. of February. Yeah. And I hate saying that, February. You'll still be good to me because it's the beginning of the month. Don't be bad to me. <laughs> but I don't love February. And Just this is a year. February. I know, right? This is a year when it's now longer. Like, what is the yeah. deal with leap year? What's I would like someone to explain the purpose of the leap year. Like, it's every four years we get an extra four, 24 hours. You can't tell me that those 24 hours are that significant. Like, is it a moon rotating around the world kind of thing? Is it... What I, is I, it? I don't know. Although Maybe it's I like... Do like I'm, I'm fine with winter months. I'm, an, I'm a northern person. I like the cold. I like hibernation, snuggling in with a good book and a fire. I know that you can do that for about two and a half hours and then you're done for the year but yeah. for me i'm holding out hope for snow is what i'm holding out on the 29th january day, has not 
happened for me again yeah. for another year. So February is the last hope for the whole year yeah. of maybe getting a few. And there's flakes. one more day and to maybe get those maybe. flakes. It'll be maybe spring by the flakes. 29th. Who are we kidding? Uh, yeah, I don't get it. If it's maybe like daylight savings, like why? If there's no right. logical reasoning behind it. I don't well, know. Well, if you're out there and you know, if you could drop us a little line and let us know scientifically, what is the purpose yeah, for maybe, the leap year day? Maybe there's not one. I don't know. Hey, enough about all of that. Let's get you guys in yes. with this next family. It's super exciting to kick off season eight with these guys high school sweethearts zach and carly lansdale so pretty exciting to hear their story like that um they've got a three-year-old son levi and he was diagnosed in august of 2022 with aml and it just shook their world overnight carly's a nurse and she's going to share about just the hurdles and emotional roller coaster she faced while caring for Levi with having that background as a nurse. So kind of balancing that nurse and all the medical knowledge she has with also just the motherhood. Uh, and so they're just going to get into all kinds of different things, how they kind of work through some different things together, advocacy and how they handled some of that. So let's jump in on this interview with these guys and hear what they have to say about their journey with childhood cancer. Zach and Carly, we are so excited to get to chat with you tonight. Thanks for um, get, taking some time for our podcast. Let's just start. Just tell us a little bit about Little Levi. What's he like? All right. Well, uh, first off, thank you all so much for having us. Lighthouse has been a big part of our cancer journey, and we're really excited to be on the podcast. I'm glad to hear Love that. that. Love, Love that. that. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> to tell you a little bit about Levi, though, he is our only child, four years old, all boy. He loves being outdoors and he has the biggest smile, most contagious laugh and um, just the, the biggest heart. And I love that. Um, so give us some history on where cancer came into the picture for you guys with Levi. Okay, sure. So um, Levi was two years old and like Carly said, he's, he's all boy, which is that's a very nice way of saying he is completely feral. <laughs> <laughs> he's a little but a sweet feral yeah he, he so he started complaining um mostly at nighttime with leg pain and actually the first time it happened he woke us up in the middle of the night saying he had leg pain and it it kind of subsided relatively quickly we kind of massaged it out and he went right back to sleep you know no one kind of chalked it up to kind of like sore muscles and then it seemed like it started happening every other night and then sometimes every night, multiple times a night. So we got concerned and Carly took him to his pediatrician who reassured us that leg pain in a growing active boy is fairly normal. And as it persisted, we started doing some of our own research. And when you would go to Google, everything our pediatrician said lined up. You know, she would say it's it might be a viral infection and we can't detect it, but it causes sore joints or it's growing pains. And this he's a little young for that, but he might be, you know, believe I was a bigger boy. He might be moving into that a little quicker. But if you scroll down on Google, you would see leukemia. Yeah. And we had both noticed it and we'd even mentioned it to each other. But when everybody's reassuring you that that's that it's nothing serious and you talk to friends and family and they go, oh, yeah. I remember that growing pains, you know, that our kid had that you kind of, it's easier to push it away, but the more that it persisted, the more we felt like maybe that thing at the bottom of Google was what we had. Hmm. You got anything you want to add? I would say so, you know, the more we thought, okay, this, this is not going away. It's getting worse. Um, we took him to the doctor again 
And they decided to, you know, run some tests on him, did strep, did mono, you know, all the basic viral, you know, testing and all that was negative. So at that point, I was like, we need, we need blood work. Something's going on with him. And so we went to the hospital, had blood work done. And then the next day is when we had got the phone call. Wow. And so what did they tell you on the phone? Did they know his whole diagnosis or did they just? Yeah. So they, they called Carly, Carly, uh, Carly's a school nurse. Um, and I'm an electrician at a power plant and it was the first day of school. So she had just dropped Levi off with my moms. She had gone to school to kind of, you know, get the room decorated a little early and we get that phone call somewhere around eight o'clock. And all they'll tell us is they can't tell us anything over the phone, but we need to get Levi, get to our pediatrician's office. And of course, although you're not sure what that diagnosis is going to be, you're pretty well sure that you're going to have a diagnosis of some sort when they tell you we can't tell you over the phone. So she calls me at work. Um, we both, I think, knew exactly what it was. We knew it was cancer of some sort. Um, I told Carly, it's like, you know, go get Levi, pull over uh, on the side of the road. I will meet you. The three of us will go in. We'll get our diagnosis together. And uh, we went into our pediatrician's office and uh, we we're very close to our pediatrician. We have a lot of people that work in that office that we are uh, that we've known that we went to school with or known through the community. And when they wanted to separate us from Levi, like, hey, she's going to take Levi. We need to talk to you in private. We kind of knew this to is break serious. The, the worst. And she kind of informed us that although she could not do all the testing that's required for an official diagnosis, she could say based off her medical experience that Levi had leukemia. Hmm. Wow. So then um, when did you get the final, like when did you get the official diagnosis and what kind of leukemia did he have? So she, she let us know that she had already called ahead to uh, Children's Healthcare of Atlanta and would let them know that we're coming and that all we would have to do was go to the ER, they would check us in and start doing tests. So again, all of this is kind of reinforcing the severity of the situation. You know, when you walk into a pediatrician's office that you usually wait an hour to see the doctor uh, and they rush you back to her office that we've never been in before, um, you know, it's something serious. They tell you, you have leukemia and we've gone ahead and called the children's hospital and they're going to be having somebody wait for you at the ER. You know, it's serious. Yeah. So mm -hmm. we show up at the ER. They check us in. They, of course, do their own blood work. Um we immediately talked to a doctor, but is he's not an oncologist. He's a ER doctor, and he came came in the room. Uh, we're of course falling apart. Um, Levi's very nervous. We're trying to hold it together, and he kind of lets us know that uh, uh, he's looked over the initial blood work. It does indicate leukemia, and then he kind of said, "He said I'm going to give you a little bit of information about what I know about leukemia." And he said most of the diagnosis that we see. R A L L. And he said, it's, I know you don't know what that means. And he said, it's very scary, but I want to go ahead and encourage you that it has a very high survival rate. And he said, so I want to kind of go ahead and put y'all at ease a little bit. I know it won't work, but try to put y'all at ease. And then, so it's, we saw him really quick and then we go hours without seeing anybody else. And they're waiting on the results for the official diagnosis. And this is the first time we meet our um, oncology team. And they come in the room and we say, so the doctor came in, he told us about ALL 
And they said, uh, unfortunately, Levi does not indicate his markers do not indicate that he has ALL, he has AML, and the survival rate's drastically different depending on which type of AML he has. Hmm. That's got to be so hard when the doctor's trying to encourage you and gives you, you know, the kind, and then you find out that, oh, that, but that's not the kind we have. We know that any kind is not good. Right. And, right. You know, so, and then obviously in that moment, we didn't even know the difference between any types. Yeah. But when we're kind of like grasping for anything good, and then it's like just bad after bad. And, of course, being like the nurse, I want to know the rates and the statistics. And when it goes from 90 something to 60 something, it just tore us apart, you know, hearing that too. Yeah, that's that we didn't know it at the time, but that one visit, that one, uh, we, we don't worry, we think it might be just this. And then finding out it was something drastically different. That was that goes on to describe our entire time with kind of the childhood cancer journey. And I think talking to other parents, that's a big part of it. You know, there this is not a settled science. There is a lot that they still don't know. And there's a lot of information that comes down in bits and pieces. So you get a part of the puzzle and you go, I think it goes here and it just doesn't fit later on. You know, Carly, when I was reading your story and I read that you were a nurse, my first thought was oh, wow, gosh, that must have been so helpful. Like you already know things and you, you're you familiar. And then the mom part of me kicked in and I thought, oh, maybe not so much. Like maybe you know too much or maybe now, you know, you, you're the nursing's your job, but this is your child. Talk about what that was like being a nurse, but then having your son diagnosed and ta- being a caretaker versus being a nurse. So I would say that I was not a nurse the whole first round. Um, you know, getting the diagnosis, the nurse part of me, just, it left my body. Mm. I don't, there's no other way to describe it other than I knew all the terms that they were saying, all the blood work. I I knew it, but I couldn't be the nurse and the mom at the same time at first. It wasn't until about round two that I was like, okay, I'm Levi's primary, you know, caregiver. And I think that God, you know, put me to be a nurse and to be his nurse for a reason. And so I kind of had to, you know, step up and take on that role and do certain things, you know, for him, even when it was hard. Zach, how did you see that play out? Um, just being the dad and, and kind of watching the progression of of that process in, in the family, like how, how did you observe that? Well, uh, first off, Carly did an amazing job. She's really hard on herself, but she did an excellent job the entirety of the time we were in the hospital. It's an impossible situation. You know, there uh, there's some difficult things that you have to process, and your occupation falls really far down on the priority list when you get this diagnosis. But we do, we have told people before that Nurse Carly was not present for the first 10 days. And you're kind of in this fog. I have a hard time. There, it's very unusual, but the more I talk to other uh, cancer parents, it seems like the it's not as unusual. The first 10 days, I can remember everything about some conversations and completely forget other conversations. It's just such a blur. You're getting so much information. So Carly was not in nurse mode for those first 10 days. She was in mom mode. I'm holding my baby. I'm comforting my baby. And yes, I can interpret this information, but what if they're wrong? You know, and that was a big thing that we struggled with, not just during round one, but for the duration was, well, yes, I know what this means, but 
it's rare that he gets this type of cancer. So maybe they're wrong again, or maybe this is not accurate. Or I understand it. I, I would tell this information to my patient, but I really know what they mean when they say that. And that was a difficult thing. But like, like she said, later on, Nurse Carly comes in full bore and she is she is full-fledged Nurse Carly for the rest of the time after about the first 10 days. She's barking orders. She's turning off pumps. She's silencing machines. She's calling codes. She, uh, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a tough task to pull Nurse Carly off of the job. <laughs> it was, there were times where I'd tell her, you are you are the nurse, but we got to step back. But for the most part, she was in her element after the first 10 days and she became, she really was Levi's uh, primary nurse, you know, after the first 10 days. And it was, it, it was a great benefit to have her be in that role. Yeah. I was going to say, does that provide you um, with comfort, right? When you see her in the role knowing, okay, I've, I've got an, an extra weapon here. My wife knows a lot more than most that are going to be going through this and it, and it is helping the process maybe navigating through. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. When, I don't think I realized how helpful it was until the first time we came home mm-hmm. and we got a 10 day break the first time we came home. So we've been in the hospital for almost 40 days wow. from diagnosis to the first time we get sent home. And when you're walking out of the hospital and people think this is crazy, but it is terrifying leaving the hospital and thinking I'm now providing care for a child that is this sick because yep. we were super sick round one. So yeah. to be, have a nurse at home who is very comfortable with giving medications, very comfortable with changing ports and accessing ports and changing wound ca- dressings, it was a big relief for me. It's great. So you I meant- think once we did get home, you know, it was mom and nurse mode for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, changing his dress in. I was the only person even monitoring his vitals. You know, we have our own pulse ox here and, you know, certain things that I feel a hundred percent comfortable with, though at times it was hard. That is where, you know, I can help in our family. Yeah. And after we went back to the hospital, she never again relinquished the role of being Levi's primary nurse. So when we go back to the hospital, she did all of the wound care. She admitted administered almost every bit of the medications. She ran the equipment at, to the point where nurses were saying, hey, if I'm in here, it, you yep. kind of not do this. You got to <laughs> let me do some of this. But it, no, they they uh, they liked that I was a nurse. You know, they were very thankful for the things that I could do and would do and was able to do. Good. You mentioned the hospital and you mentioned 40 days. And I read it that you spent maybe a 200 days total in and out. Um, that is a lot of time in the hospital. How did you guys cope with, were you both there all the time? Did you separate? I mean, it sounds like Carly, you were there cause you were nurse and mom. So what was it like for you, Zach? Like, were you trying to work at the same time or were you both in there? Or how did you manage all of that time? Yeah. So, um, well, you know, that was one of the first things that was explained to us about AML, uh, was that, it, yes, it is leukemia, just like ALL, but we have to go after it extremely aggressive, extremely early, and it's going to be very difficult, and it's going to be very high-dose chemotherapies right up front. Um, so when they started talking about, you know, we talked to other parents, and like, yeah, we were here for two weeks the first round, and then 10 days, and then five days. You start kind of getting your head around that, but when someone comes in the room and says, we don't anticipate you to go home for the next 40 days, that's 
a shock to the system. And you have to start thinking about things that uh, like going, someone's got to go back to work. Somebody's got to pay bills. You know, someone's got to feed the cat. You know, these things that you did not think about early on, you have to start thinking about. And uh, we made the decision pretty early on that Carly would resign from her job to be Levi's primary caregiver and that I would have to go back to work. And then fortunately for us, I work with some really great folks who I, I can't do my job remotely. I carry a tool bag, you know, 90% of my day, but they found ways to find, give me remote work when they could so that I could be at the hospital. And then on days where I had to go into work, I, we just had to deal with what we had to deal with. Yeah. Yes. There was days that, you know, Zach did have to go to work, but for the most part, he was there every night. We were both there every day, every night, never, you know, left each other's side. And, you know, it was, it was hard. Yeah, that- it was a hard thing, but I think what got us through, um, you know, our stays was we decorated the rooms. Um, yeah. I always had different things, you know, to decorate in, whether it was superheroes or we did a Grinch room for Christmas because Levi, you know, loved the Christmas time. We had a tree and everything. Um, but we always decorated the room. We always brought his favorite toys, favorite snacks, um, new games, new crafts. Like we, once we knew our stays were going to be long, we did whatever we could to make it more homey and comfortable for Levi. Yeah. We just moved on in. Right. Moved in. That's, they used to say that every time we would show up, they'd be like, y'all moving back in? Because we would, <laughs> we completely rearranged the room. We moved beds. We moved, uh, we moved furniture out in the hallway and then they'd have people come pick it up so we can move our stuff in. We redesigned. When they told us that we had free range, mama redesigned. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> I would imagine on those long stays, you know, there's, there's questions, there's advocate, like you guys are going to, are having to advocate for a lot while you're in there and trying to push for different things, get things answered. Um, what was that, what was that like um, for you guys having to to really advocate for Levi? I think the biggest thing that we advocated uh, for in the hospital was free time off the pole for Levi. For sure. Um, like we said, like he's very outdoorsy, very outgoing. We're a very active family. And for him to be on the pole in the room for 40 days, we knew that was not going to work for his mental health. Like that would take a toll on him. So we advocated early on that even if it's 30 minutes, an hour, we need time off the pole. We need to get outside. We need to get out of the room, get light, fresh air. And so, you know, the doctors listened to us and they gave us that time. That's great. That's Brilliant. Um, yeah. My son liked to ride around on his pole like it was a skateboard. Mm. <laughs> well, we, we got in trouble a lot for this, but we brought bicycles and we brought scooters and we did stuff like that. And we got in trouble a lot, but there was also a lot of turning our head and letting us letting us go. Yeah. They're good about that. I mean, what kind of trouble? What kind of trouble you really get in? You know, I mean, they ask for forgiveness. We got some pretty stern talking. <laughs> oh. Yes, we did. He, they said he needed a helmet for sure. We got a helmet. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about post treatment. How long have you guys been off treatment? Uh, eight, eight months. months. Eight months. Um, I always t- say that I, looking back, I think post treatment is its own 
phase. You know how they give you phases? You're in this phase and you're in this phase. I always think instead of like, you're done, they should be like, you are now in this phase. And it's just another phase because there's a lot to adjust to, a lot to get used to. It is not 100% over like the minute the bell is rung and all those things. Carly, you've said that um, you didn't really, you hadn't experienced anxiety before, but that post-treatment, that is something that's been a challenge. And it was for me as well. I thought, I think the first year off treatment was one of my hardest years of all the years that we were on treatment. And I wasn't expecting that. Can you talk a little bit about what it's been like for the past eight months? Yeah, I was definitely not expecting that either. I have never been an anxious, you know, person or have anxiety and coming home, you know, like you said, I mean, you said that (laughs) just like I was thinking, um, I thought it would be just good. We would be relaxed, but I have had so much anxiety with just, okay, what is this leg pain from? Did he fall? Did he, what's this bruise from, you know, questioning every little thing like is cancer back is, you know, and just asking myself that, um, and then having appointments every month to get, you know, his blood work checked, that anxiety the week of is just something I can't even describe. I can't even explain that anxiety. Just, it just builds up. And I never would have thought that it would be this, you know, I guess bad, um, eight months out, (laughs) Now that you guys have been eight months out and some of the things you've learned, some of the, through maybe some of these ups and downs of just figuring out the anxiety and just all the stuff, what, um, what advice would you give another family that they're ringing the bell next week and, uh, and they're about to enter this phase? What, what would you tell them? Well, first off, it's awesome. You know, don't, don't, don't forget to downplay or don't, don't downplay what you've gone through, what you've accomplished. celebrate it, celebrate it big, go as big as you can think about going for the ringing the bell or whatever you want to do. We did every, everything big. We celebrated everything big, but don't think that ringing the bell means it's over. It is a lot tougher after you ring the bell. The support you receive when you're on treatment is drastically different than the level of support you receive after treatment. It's not because people are bad folks. It's not because they don't care anymore. They just think you're done. They think it's over. So when you were getting these encouraging text messages, when your people were calling or dropping food off, um, all that kind of stops pretty abruptly after uh, you ring the bell. And that's that's okay. It's just having to adjust to that next phase. It's just know it's coming. For sure. You you, you need to know that that's coming. And also it's um, it's going to be a little tougher than you think not having a doctor come in your room at all the time. Yeah. You, the first thing you think is, I'd be so happy to not hear that machine beat. I'll be yeah. so happy not to have a nurse come in at 4 a.m. I'll be yeah. so happy not to have the doctors come by and talk to us and take up all this time. And it was good. It was good it, not and to And that have, is great. The know, first night of sleep is amazing at home. But at the same time, not having them come in and tell us his blood work every single morning, yes. it was like, hmm, is his platelet slow today? Is his, does he need a blood transfusion? We don't know. We're just having to go off of, you know, what it looks like. So you kind of just have to, you know, trust yourself and how they've been over, you know, this whole journey. And, you know, don't be afraid to reach out and ask for that unscheduled blood work. When you have that gut feeling that's not going to go away, go ahead and just tell them I want the blood work and I want it today. I did that several times um, and I felt really guilty about it. But then afterwards I was like, but I was able to sleep. So maybe, you know, I was able to sleep that night. 
did it a couple times. I feel like that's one of the hardest things. You don't realize how much you are placing in a piece of paper that you get in the morning. You know, when they sneak in at like four and take the blood and then they bring it back at whatever, 6.30. And you get really used to like basing your day and your next couple days on what that piece of paper says. Exactly. And so adjusting just to that in itself, you know, not them coming in every four hours to get vital signs to make sure his blood pressure is okay. The, like you said, the blood work, it's all hard to adjust back to just, Oh, we're sleeping in our bed. No one's coming in. Yeah. Yeah. It's very quiet. Nothing's beeping. <laughs> what is, what yeah. is... That part's great. That part is great. Yeah, that part's great. <laughs> yeah, we do not Those, miss the beeps. <laughs> the, uh, the beds at the hospital are not meant for extended stays. So right. you're exactly. like getting back in the uh, the the Serta, that's a that's a big yeah. one. Yeah, over um, the windowsill, yeah. little the windowsill like uh, little thing that you get to sleep on. Yeah, a real bed, definitely, definitely a great. high point. That's some good advice. Zach, early on, a social worker asked you about grants, applying for any grants. What was that about? Yeah, so um, I imagine this is a conversation that a good social worker has with all of the new patients' families, but it was something that I wasn't really receptive to, and it was, um, have you, do you have a plan on how you're going to ask for financial support and what you're going to do about that? And I kind of let my pride get in the way uh, very early on. And I'm a uh, take a lot of pride in the fact that I'm able to go to work and I'm able to provide for my family. And just because we had a disaster, I didn't feel like that should change anything. Uh, so I told her originally when she started talking about uh, what kind of support we had, I told her, you know, appreciate it, but we'll be okay. I'll go back to work. I can do odd jobs if I need to. We'll, we'll find a way to pay for this. And she was very frank and I'm very appreciative for it. But she told me, Listen, you're, I've seen your finances. I've seen your ran your insurance. You're not the worst off people up here, but you're not the richest person up here. But no one gets out of this without accepting some type of help. Hmm. And that was a hard dose of medicine that I needed to to hear. And the other part of that is just the reality. Help. The most help comes in round one. So if you turn it down now, the chances of it being there later on when you might need it are slim. Mm-hmm. That was good advice. That's great advice. I'm glad you took it. It's a gift to have the social workers there because you would never know how to navigate any of that. No, we're so thankful for her. There are moments where uh, you need to be, uh, your feelings need to come into consideration and they need to deal with the fact that you're processing all this tough information. And there are moments where you need it right down the pipe. And that was the moment where I needed it right down the pipe. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes you need that. Well, hey, guys, this has been really great. Thank you guys for saying yes to um, sitting down with us, sharing your story, letting some others um, just get a glimpse into this. Uh, we really appreciate you making time, and it was really a treat for us to spend it with you. Oh, thank you all so much. We really enjoyed it. Yes, we appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, so thanks for listening with us um, to Zach and Carly. You know, what struck me was Carly's talking about being a nurse and having to switch from nurse mode to mom mode when most of us were just moms and had to try and switch to nurse mode. And I can't help but wonder like how much harder that was for her because she had so much knowledge, like nurse medical knowledge behind it. But they are adorable. And I'm so grateful that they were willing to share their story. And I hope it helped somebody that was listening today. Yeah. Yeah, Another great story. You guys um, don't remember. Um, Jump back if you've not listened with seven great seasons of episodes. So jump back and start listening and get caught up. And we will see you next month on the next episode of Lighthouse Podcast. Mm-hmm.